0: You're listening to audio provided by Dell Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. And let's do this so that you don't get seated and I have to stand you back up and you groan like the Hebrews did in Egypt. I want you to look at John chapter 17. We're just going to read the first five verses of what is called the high priestly prayer of Christ. You may have that title there. Others have called this um, uh, the holy of holies of uh, Scripture because in this chapter, you slip behind the veil of the heart of Jesus and literally into the presence uh, of uh, the heart of God. Now listen to what is written, John 17, beginning in verse 1. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. In other words, listen to what he said. He says, I've accomplished everything you gave me to do. He literally could say at this moment, it is finished. He waits until he finishes all of that on the cross, but up to this point, everything the Father had given him to do is finished except for the dying. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, These are uh, really busy days And I just encourage you, be a part of all that's going on here. Not this coming Friday night, but the next Friday night, uh, we will all gather here in this place around tables. We'll have a meal, and we will have what the early church called a love feast. That's what they called it at Corinth. And we will observe at the end of a meal, we will all take the Lord's table uh, together. We'll observe that. Uh, Last night, I pulled out something uh, that uh, I've had for years that I purchased in Israel and I've never pulled it out of the package, uh, but I'm going to use it that Friday night. I, I purchased years ago a tallit, uh, and uh, you'll just have to show up to see that. And I'm gonna talk about, really, uh, prayer that night. We're looking at prayer these Sunday mornings leading up to Easter. And we're gonna look at the prayer our Lord prayed. Uh, As I was on my way back from Greece, uh, I was working on this sermon on the plane because I'd intended to preach last Sunday and would have had it not been for the doctor and my wife. So uh, I'm coming back to this, but as I was on the plane thinking about this, uh, I thought to myself just a few days earlier, uh, 20 years ago, I stood on a beach with my dad I stood on a beach with my dad that my dad had been to before that I'd never been to. It was a beach that he had been to 58 years earlier. Uh, It was Utah. It was where he went in on the Normandy invasion. And uh, as we stood there that day and looked out across the English Channel, I asked dad, I said, dad, tell me a little bit about what you experienced. Tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind as you came up in that LCI and you got out and you came up on these beaches right, right here. And uh, he said they had put us in a liberty ship. He said we were, and I said, well, did, did you know that you were headed to the invasion? He said, no, they didn't tell us anything, but we knew what was coming. We knew it had to be the invasion, uh, but they told us nothing. And he said we were on that liberty ship for a day, went through that night, the next morning, Uh, The first wave went in. He went in a little later on the first day, and I said, well, were they giving you reports back as to uh, how intense the fight was? Did y'all get information about how many men? He said, we didn't have to get information. He said, we could see. He said, "Uh, when the door of that landing craft went down, he said, "Uh, the driver of that thing threw it in immediate reverse, and he said, men around you were falling. You could hear the whizzing of bullets, you could hear the thud of a bullet hitting a man and the man going down. He never even got out the LCI. And he said, we got out and we were told, run, run as fast as you can. Uh, Get out of the water as quickly as you can. Get on the shore and run as far into the beach as you can run. Go and keep moving. And I said, well, you've got death all around you. In your mind, what are you thinking? He says, I'm thinking of your mama. I'm thinking of Don't y'all make me do this. I'm thinking of your sister, and I'm thinking of my mom and dad and how I want to live to get back home to them. It is an interesting thing to me. I have stood beside maybe eight or ten people as they have died before. Some I have been praying with when they died. Some uh, I just simply stood there with the family and watched as they died. It's an interesting thing what goes through a man or a woman's mind when they are facing moments of death. Uh, You see what is going through the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ as he faces the moment of death. He knew he was headed to the cross. He knew he was headed to torture. He knew he was headed toward suffering, uh, toward the passion, toward brutality. All that man could do, all that Satan could do to him in the moments before he died, he was facing and he knew it was coming. And in John chapter 17, you see literally into the heart of God himself as Jesus faces that moment of death. I want you to look at that. I'm going to show you three things out of the heart of Christ. It's interesting. G. Campbell Morgan comes to this uh, passage and Morgan says that Jesus only requests two things in this entire prayer for himself. In fact, the fear. is, The prayer is divided into three parts. Let me give it to you. You may want to go home this afternoon and just sit down and think of the three different parts of this prayer. The first five verses that we read, Jesus prays for himself. But beginning in verse 6, Jesus begins to pray for the disciples. Uh, These disciples that have been with him that he called, he begins to pray for them uh, through about verse 19. And then beginning in verse 20, he picks up and he's praying for you. So, there are the three sections of the prayer. And as you come to this, I want you to think about could you pray this prayer? And let me give you the answer. The answer is no, you couldn't. This is a prayer that only Jesus could pray. Now, Jesus taught us to pray. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Teach us to pray. And so Jesus gave them the prayer that Kirk would let us through just moments ago that we call. Uh, The Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer uh, is probably a better term, but that's a prayer that Jesus could only teach. It's not a prayer that Jesus could pray. Oh, come on. Do you expect Jesus to pray, forgive me my debts as I forgive those who have created debts against me? Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who have trespassed against me? No, it's a model prayer. Jesus gives us a model We can pray that prayer. Jesus cannot. Now you come to a prayer that you really can't pray, but that Jesus is the only... This would sound ridiculous on the lips of Muhammad. This would sound absurd on the lips of Buddha. It would sound uh, bizarre on the lips of anybody other than the true and living Son of God. And so as he comes here in this prayer and a prayer that only Jesus could pray, I want you to see what it reveals about his heart. I want you to understand that as you listen to this prayer, as you enter into John chapter 17, you should be somewhere still and quiet. It's not just a person praying. This is Jesus praying. These are just mere hours before he faces unbelievable torture and persecution and crucifixion. And so as he comes to this, you begin to see, number one, the heart of total dependency on the Father. Look now with me at the very first verse of chapter 17. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. Now, let me just stop right there because most of the time we would read over that and think, well, that's just setting the stage. Let me tell you, not a word in this book sets the stage. It is the stage. It is the Word of God. We think this is just trapping. This is just pretty language here that gives us a sacred setting. No, this is the setting. (laughs) Listen to what it says. Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. You cannot skip that. You cannot see beyond that. You can't pass that. You have to understand something is being said right here. The first thing he did when his hour came, do you see that? He said, Father, the hour has come. The first thing that he did when his hour came, six times we've read the phrase, my hour has not come. It begins in John chapter 2 at the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee. My hour has not come. My hour has not come. My hour has not come. Now you come to chapter 17, verse 1, and you read the words, my hour has come there is a dramatic shift here and before he even voices those words look at what he does he lifts his eyes up to heaven he doesn't look inward he doesn't look downward he doesn't look around him he lifts his eyes to heaven by the way i haven't preached now for a couple of weeks so just sit back <laughs> let me show you what i was going to preach what i was going to preach on uh, palm sunday Uh, I was going to preach out of Mark chapter 11, verse 11. You're going there because I can hear your pages turning. Mark chapter 11, verse 11, at the end of the triumphal entry, listen to this one little verse. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple and after looking around at everything. That's it, that phrase right there. After looking around, looking around. Do you know that occurs some eight, nine, ten different times? In the gospel of Mark, that very phrase, Jesus looking around, looking around, looking around. You come to the last time it is ever used in Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus is looking. What was he looking at? Well, hang on. I'll preach that sermon one day. Uh, But go back to John chapter 17. Here we don't have to question what he was looking at, lifting up his eyes to heaven. What I want you to see in that is this. He's not looking at the problem. He's looking at the solution. He's not looking at the issues that are about to take place. He's looking to the Father. Do you know how many times you're told that that takes place? Over and over. If you go back in John's Gospel to John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, you're going to see that very, that very same thing as he breaks bread and he breaks the fish, and he's going to feed this multitude. The Bible says this in John chapter 6, or Mark chapter 6, lifting his eyes to heaven, lifting his eyes up. You see the same thing in Mark chapter 7, when they bring the deaf man to him, and he puts his fingers in the ears of the deaf man, and he looks up to heaven, and he says, "Ephphatha, Ephphatha." Be opened. That's Aramaic. You see the same thing right here in John chapter 15. Just back a couple of chapters in John chapter 15 as he stands outside the tomb of Lazarus. uh, There he does that exact same thing. John chapter 11. Folks, I have a new Bible. Because my last Bible lasted two and a half years, that's about the run of it for me. Uh, And it has split apart. Um, I felt like Moses when it happened, but um, I've got a new Bible, and so you'll have to be patient with me as I try to move through this. Look at this. John chapter 11, verse 41, they removed the stone that is from uh, the tomb of Lazarus. Then Jesus raised his eyes, and he began to pray. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Over and over you read this phrase, and that's exactly what it's saying right there. It's saying this, he has his eyes on the Father. Let me just take you back to John chapter 5, and let me show you something there in John chapter 5, where Jesus talks about his ministry and all that his ministry was done under the authority of the Father. John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was saying this, that every time he went to heal someone, he looked first to the Father. That every time he went to touch someone, he looked first to the Father. That every time he went to feed someone, he looked first to the Father. That every time he went to teach someone, he looked first to the Father There was a total and absolute and complete dependency of Jesus on the Father. God the Son was clearly and totally dependent on God the Father. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you live with a dependence like that on God that there's nothing that you will do in your life but that you don't first look to the Father? I don't know if you listened to the testimony. I didn't plan to use this. It's popped in my head, and and, and, uh, you should have heard my wife. You would have thought she was a Tar Heel last night. Um, (laughs) The new coach for UNC who was asked in the middle of a news conference about his faith, and without batting an eye, he said, My faith is the foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything I do. Whether it's my marriage, whether it's my children rearing my children, whether it's coaching, whether it's coaching, let me tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ, you answer the question that everybody in the press is asking, can you separate your life and your faith from what you do? No. My faith in Jesus Christ, thank the Lord for the testimony of the new coach at UNC, It informs every decision I make. So if they ever call me to sit on the Supreme Court, here's my answer. My decisions are based on the Word of God. That's too hot for you to handle. Goodbye. Whatever they might be. Why do y'all do this to me? Look, now listen. This is the question. The question is this, do I live with that kind of dependency upon the Father? Do I live with a total submission uh, to, what the, <coughs> to, what, to what the Father wants in my life? Or do I live in an independent Christian walk where God and I discuss the things, but now, God, you don't want anything different than what I want wasn't so for Christ. When you come to the very, listen, i am not even gotten to the words here yet. I'm just giving you what Jesus did. He lifted his eyes to heaven. Why? Because there was a total and complete dependence on him. When we switch to our independence instead of dependence, never look for the supernatural power of God to ever intervene in your life. But when you live in a dependency upon the Father, you can expect God to intervene and do all kind of things on your behalf. Now, I believe that. I believe that. I could give you personal illustrations, but I won't. Let me give you the second thing. The second thing is this, is look at the determination here. We've gotten this far. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, The hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you have given him authority over all flesh, uh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Here comes this total determination on the part of Jesus to do one thing. Now, watch this. Six times in the Gospel of John, You read this statement, My hour has not come. Now he comes and he says, The hour is here. My hour is now. It has come. And what is he talking about? His hour has come. He says, This, glorify your son. What's he referring to? The cross, his death his passion, his suffering, his persecution, all that he will go through, everything that unholy hell will unleash on the Son of God will be unleashed on him. And he is saying through that, glorify me. Glorify me so that the Son may glorify you. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you're going to chew on And um, you're going to need to chew on it, but I want you to listen to me carefully. I want you to understand that the chief end of the coming of Jesus Christ was not to die for you. It was to glorify the Father. It was to glorify the Father. Dying for you is what glorified the Father. His chief end was not to come and to go to a cross to die for you. His chief end was glorify my Father. And the way that came about was dying for you. That's what he's saying right here. He comes and he says, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That brings you glory. For Jesus Christ to shed his blood, to pay the price for your eternal sin, brought glory to God the Father. And Jesus said, if that's how glory comes to you, That's where I go, to the cross. Wow. It's unreal, isn't it? And he says that in this, I will be glorified. (coughs) I'm glorified because this brings you glory. Now, let me tell you what you see in that cross because all through human history, you get just little glimpses of God's glory. Just a little bit here, you go back to Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20, and you see the glory of God that settles on Mount Sinai. There's the cloud, there's the smoke. There's the fire, there's the lightning, there's the booming of thunder, there's the blaring of trumpet, there's the shaking of the earth, and you catch a glimpse of the glory of God. You catch a glimpse of the glory of God when Moses comes down off of that mountain and his face is shining, though it begins to fade away. You will catch glimpses all the way through the Old Testament, these moments, these glimpses of the glory of God. You catch a glimpse or two here in the life of Joseph. You catch a glimpse or two there in the life of David. You catch a couple of glimpses here in the life of Elijah and Elisha. As you go through the Old Testament, you'll catch a glimpse. But then listen to what John writes, who's writing this, who's recording this prayer back in John chapter 1. He says this, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's the glory. The glory of God was shining through the grace of Jesus Christ and the truth of Jesus Christ. And so, when you come to the cross, Jesus is saying, Now, you're going to see on display the great glory of God. you think of the cross we we went to watch the Passion play up in Memphis Friday night <coughs> in watching that, thinking about this, thinking about the horror of the cross that was that was Calvary, and thinking about how in the world, in the midst of the blood and the sweat and the tears and the crime and the dirt and the foulness and the uh, everything that was Calvary that day. How do you see the glory of God? What you see is this. You see the holiness of God there. You see the justice of God there. Folks, we don't get justice in this world. Stop, stop striving for it. There's coming a day when justice will be meted out accurately. You see the justice of God there. There. But more than anything else, you see the love of the heart of God at Calvary. You see that love that is there, that goes all the way to Calvary's cross. Now, I have been to Israel two dozen times or better. And I often walk through the the old city of Jerusalem uh, toward the Damascus gate that will lead out toward Gordon's Calvary. And uh, as I walk that way, oftentimes I will walk and I will think to myself, what if Jesus stopped right here? What if he had stopped right here? Said, this is it. Somebody take this cross. I'm done carrying it. This is as far as I go. I'm not going in. Then I'll, I'll walk on a little ways more. And uh, there are shops on either side, all these, exactly like it was 2,000 years. You can stop and you can buy all kind of uh, spices and all kind. You walk through there, you smell nothing but frankincense. You smell myrrh burning. You smell all kind of stuff walking through. You walk through where they slaughter animals. Uh, You walk through where they sell the animals, where they've just slaughtered it. You walk through all of this. And I thought to myself, well, what if he stopped here? What if Jesus stopped here and said, this is as close to Calvary as I'm going to get. I'm not going to go any further. And I'll walk on a little more and I'll get within sight of uh, the gate there. Uh, and I'll think to myself, what if Jesus walked up to the gate and stopped right there and said, here, this is as close as I'm getting to Calvary. I'm going no further. This is it right here. I stop. Would he have been right? Well, he's God. He's God. Would it have saved me? No, it wouldn't. But Jesus anywhere along that way could have stopped and said, hey, this is it. I'm done. I've gone as far for you as I'm going to go. You know what that would have said? It would have said that his love had qualifiers on it. His love had qualifiers on it. And uh, that is, if you meet a certain standard, then he will love you up to this point, but he will not love you to the end. You know, I think about it. I just take these things and I think about my own personal life. I love my wife with no qualification. If she completely lost her mind, forgot who I was, uh, never could call my name again, I'd never stop loving her. That's not a qualifier, as long as you can love me. My wife, at 33 years of age, had bilateral mastectomy, cancer, And when I went in after surgery, after 11 hours of surgery, and I went in and saw her in the recovery room, I didn't say, farewell, you can't meet the needs of a man anymore. I'm gone. Are you kidding me? I have an unqualified love for that woman. She can cook. (laughs) If you had seen her the last week taking care of me, You'd have have thought she had graduated from medical school. She's still telling me everything to do. Listen, unqualified love, that's the love. You can wrap your head around that, but wrap your head around suffering on a cross and saying, unqualified love, I've gone thus far for you. That was his determination. I go to the cross because I long to glorify the Father. Let me give you the third thing, and the third thing is this. It's desire. What is his desire? You see the desire of Jesus in verse 5. Look at this. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. <clears throat> All these personal pronouns that are in here, just they're, they're kind of wrapped up. Father, Father, me, yourself, I, you. All of this wrapped up together. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with which I had with you before the world was. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying this I laid aside a great deal of the privileges of deity. He did not lay aside his deity. Go over now. Put your finger there in John chapter 17. Look over to Philippians chapter 2. You know this passage very well. Listen to what he's saying as he talks about emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant who, verse 6 of chapter 2 of Philippians, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He did not become less than God He simply set aside his position, his title, the place there, taking the form of a bondservant, becoming made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. You can't kill God. So that's why he set aside the the privileges of Godhead, and he was willing to become a man because you can put a man to death. You cannot kill God. By the way, God is not dead. Somebody from the 60s still asking that question. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, because of that, God did what he prayed, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It brings glory to the Father. And so Jesus comes here and he says, This, this is what I want. I want to come back to you, I want to come home. He says, I want it to be the way it was before the world was made. He is speaking about the intimacy of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, Father, it's all but done now. I'm going to the cross. That's determined. I have the determination to glorify you, and the way to glorify you is to die for man. And he says, The desire of my heart is this, it's to come home. I want to come home. You ever heard the name Lillian Alling, 1927, New York City? Lillian Alling was a young lady who was born in Siberia, Russia. And all her life, her dream was to go to New York City. And somehow, in Siberia, Russia, in the 1920s, she got up enough money that she was able to buy a passage and to fulfill the dream of her life and to go to New York City. But in 1927, it became the desire of her heart to go back home. In fact, she became extremely homesick. So homesick that nothing would do but for her to leave New York City and to go home. But all she had to show was about $100 that she had saved up. It was not near enough money to get passage on a ship to get back to Russia and then to get her to her home in Siberia. So because she was so homesick and because she desired to go home, she said, I'll walk. Now we're talking about 12,000 miles, folks. I'll walk. And she went out and she bought several maps and she sat down for months and she plotted out the route that she would go. I want you to listen. There are several books that are written on her. I want you to listen to what is said of this lately. Lillian starts out with maps, a knapsack and an iron rod for protection. Now she's going to go through the Yukon through Canada with an iron rod for her protection. I read a little later that she had a wrench that a mechanic gave to her And she thought, I can keep the bears and the wolves away with a wrench. She starts out, this frail girl. She passed through Chicago. She got to Winnipeg, British Columbia, the Yukon, and Alaska, arriving in Nome, which was the halfway point for her journey in July of 1929. Soon after leaving Nome, Alaska, she was seen approaching Cape Prince of Wales, and that was the last time anyone saw her. Uh, No one had seen her since then. Nobody knows what happened to her. She apparently reached the Cape as she had planned. She obtained a boat, some people say. They saw her rowing across the 36 miles of Bering Strait in some of the world's roughest water to Siberia. Some speculate and say that the Eskimos took her across. Others say that others took her across. But that she got to the other side, we have no idea. But if you stop and think of a young girl in her 20s in 1927 who is so homesick, she is willing to take that kind of a journey to get back home and then stop and think about Jesus Christ. Who was so homesick to be at the right hand of the throne of the Father that Jesus said, "If the way home is the cross, then I'm going to the cross." And he praised these words. Now, Father, glorify me together with Yourself. With the glory which I had with you before the world was, I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know me that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and they truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now listen to this. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world. He already sees himself as gone and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. In other words, keep them in my name. Put my name on them that they may be one even as we are. I'm going to come back and ask you that question again. Can you pray this? Do you hear what Jesus is praying? Jesus is praying this, Father, I've had total dependency upon you. There's a determination on my part to glorify you, no matter what that means, and it meant the cross. And my desire is to come home. Now, what he just prayed is this, Father, give me what I deserve. Can you pray that? Could you honestly bow your head this morning and say, Oh Lord, God our Father, I pray that you give me what I deserve. No, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not praying that. <laughs> but this is what I do want. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. Here's my prayer. Oh, God, don't give me what I deserve. Give me what Jesus, your son, deserves. And Jesus says that right there when he says, Just put my name on them. Just put my name on them and give them what I have earned. Let's stand. Lord, have mercy, Father, to think that you love us that much. Lord, that we don't get what we deserve is one thing, but to get your name stamped on us So that when the Father looks at us, he gives to us what you deserve. Lord, how could any one of us, how could any one of us say no to a Lord like that? And yet, Father, I know there are people that are listening to me who have never put their faith and trust in you. Lord, to the best of my ability, I've just tried to describe what it means to trust in you. That I do not get what I deserve. But I get the righteousness of Christ. And the love and the forgiveness and the mercy and the long suffering and the grace and the goodness and the kindness of God the Father. Because the Son wanted to glorify you. And the way to glorify you was to die for us. Oh, Lord, what a Savior! What a God. I wonder if God's speaking to your heart this morning. Why not today? Why not come and say today's the day I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Why not today? Why not come and say today's the day we become a part of Valley Dale. Why not today to say today's the day where I surrender the gifts and the abilities and the energy and the strength and the time and all that I have to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Would you do that? Right now in the quietness of this moment, I'm standing here in his place, in his stead. Come to Jesus. As Christians are praying, Kirkwood is playing. Would you come make that decision you need to make today? Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.